Well, hey, how are y'all? All right, all right. Good to see everybody today. My name's Carter, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Church. I'm glad you're worshiping with us. We're going to be back into our series in Jonah today, so you can turn to Jonah chapter 3 if you have a device and you want to look it up or turn there in your Bible. Uh, so far in this series, we've seen some crazy stuff, you know? We've seen a crazy story. Jonah, a prophet of God, didn't obey when he received God's word. He ran away, which is very unusual. That's crazy in and of itself. But then we noticed in chapter 1 that we're kind of like Jonah. We kind of run from God, you know? But the beautiful thing about God is that he doesn't run from us. He chases after us. He doesn't give up on us. And God very forcibly corrected Jonah and put him down in the stomach of a fish even, taking him down to hit very rock bottom in his life. And then in chapter 2 last week, we saw that down in the depths, Jonah still repented and turned back to God. And we can do the same thing ourselves by humbling ourselves, making ourselves low and turning back to God every day. Why? Well, because we know that salvation belongs to him. It's not something we can do for ourselves. It's not something we have to do for someone else. Salvation belongs to God. We can't control any of that. Repentance is what salvation requires from us, but also sacrifice is what it requires from God. You know, we saw both of those things last week. So we have to repent, but God has to sacrifice. He has to do it for us. And so today in chapter 3, we're going to continue that theme of salvation, which is what we started last week. But we're going to be doing it from a different perspective today. We're going to see what happens when God's prophet is finally obedient to share God's message. He gets a second chance here. It's pretty incredible. It's an incredible miracle. A wayward prophet is restored and a pagan nation is miraculously saved. By God. So we're going to see that, and here's the main point. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. We should fight for obedience to God's mission. That's what our main point is for today. That's what we're going to see from the text. We should fight for obedience to God's mission. We need to fight for it. The changed lives of those who are far from God are worth it, right? And this may be the biggest fight that we have in the Christian life as a follower of Jesus. We've already mentioned in our series but your perfection is not something that God is supremely interested in right now at this time. I know, you know, I mean, you hear, you sound, it sounds counterintuitive when you hear a pastor saying that, like, wait, we don't have to be perfect. That's not what God's after. It's really not. Not in this life. What God's after is obedience to his mission. He's not after our perfection. He, it's, it shows that we've been influenced by maybe a false gospel, if that's what we believe, is that the, the point of the Christian life is somehow to be perfect and to be set up on this little shelf. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's like God, we think that he wants to make us perfect and that's what the Christian life is all about. But being religious can't make us perfect. God is the only one that can make us perfect over time, in his time. You don't have to try to do that for him or do it for yourself. As a matter of fact, you can't. He will complete the good work that he began in you eventually. It's a lifelong process, and perfection will be the thing that you reach in the end, in eternity. But right now, what he's after and what he's much more interested in is our obedience to his mission in the world. If we think, if we think like this, we think that uh, perfection is what he wants when we're saved, then we're this little delicate thing that he wants to put up on a shelf like a piece of china so that we don't get broken or tainted by the world. But that's not how God looks at it at all, and that's not how he works in us. When he saves us, he immediately begins to use us to save others. That's, that's what the Christian life looks like. And so that's the battle for us now. We're fighting for obedience to that mission. 
It's to be like Jesus, yes, but in the way of loving others enough to share heaven with them. That's the kind of obedience that's worth fighting for. See, the problem is we often fight for the wrong things. I heard Jordan Peterson actually talk about this one time. You know, Jordan Peterson's not a believer at all, so sometimes his views on things are a little skewed. But I think it's uncanny how close he is to the Christian worldview sometimes, you know, on some things. And he was talking about this. He was talking about why he thinks young men today like to play video games, get lost in fantasy worlds like Dungeons and Dragons and other kinds of role-play games. And he believes it's because they have nothing of real value to fight for in their lives. So they long to slay a dragon, any kind of dragon they can, even if it's a pretend one. Because something inside each man gives us this desire to slay dragons, to fight for the right stuff, to fight for what we love, to fight for what's right, to fight for a life that's worth living. So Peterson argues the real reason that we see millions of young men fighting pretend battles is because they either haven't found the battle that they ought to be fighting or they're too lazy or afraid to fight the real dragons that are in their lives that need to be slain, like addiction to pornography or fighting for a relationship that's worth it or fighting for self-discipline in your life, or fighting for a job, or fighting for our country, or something like that. And I think it's a brilliant observation that we can easily apply to the Christian life. Because for us, we either don't, you know, enter the fight at all, and we just kind of check out of the mission, because we're lazy, or we're afraid, or whatever, or we fight the exact wrong things, like each other, in the church today, in America. Or we fight the very culture that God has sent us in to save instead of being the voice of peace and love and reason for them. So we've got to fight the tendencies to do those things and to fight the wrong battles and, get, and, and go to the real dragon here. We've got to slay the real dragon, which is fighting for obedience to the mission. That's what's going on in Jonah's life here. We'll see that as we get into the text, but I just think when I apply it to us as a church, planting a church was like that for us and our team. It was a fight. Uh, if I look around at some of the uh, launch team members that were here from the very beginning, it was a fight, wasn't it? Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it's an understatement, huh? I don't know. It was, it was a challenge. But see, the moment that we saw God save someone through one of our church members, we knew immediately it was a fight worth fighting, right? I mean, I just think of uh, our launch day, Easter of 2021. And we were over at the Grandin Theater. We had two baptisms. One of those was Katie Sin. She'd grown up in church. She never really made the faith her own. And when she was struggling with satisfaction in her job and struggling to find meaning and purpose in her life, God put one of our team members in her path. And they invited her to church. And she came while we were still meeting over at the YMCA before we'd even launched. And God saved her. She heard the gospel and she believed. And she was like, this is what I knew life should always be like. So we baptized her on launch Sunday, Easter of 2021. That is the kind of story that is worth fighting for over and over and over again. And of course, I could point to many of your stories here too, right? How God has come into your life through one of our church members and God has radically saved and changed you and your entire family. God's doing that over and over again and that's worth fighting for here. It's worth fighting for obedience to that mission. We gotta keep fighting for it. Planting the church was only the beginning for us. Every week we have to be fighting for obedience to the mission of sharing God's love with somebody else around us. Here's what I heard a pastor at the Austin Stone Church in Texas say this week as I was listening. He said, if the mission is something that we used to do, then God's power and presence will be something we used to experience. Man, may that not be our church. 
May this only be the beginning for us. What we're going to see from Jonah's story today is that God's mission is worth fighting for. Obedience to that mission is worth the fight. So let's get into the text here. We're going to take it a chunk at a time, make some points as we go like we normally do. We're going to start in chapter 3, verse 1. This is after Jonah's been spit back up onto the land. Verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Man, thank God he's a God of mercy and second chances, right? I mean, Jonah's been stubborn this whole time. He's been idolatrous. He's recognized that he's run from God, but God never stopped pursuing him and running after him miraculously, right? And now he's ready to obey finally. So verse one is almost the exact same verbiage of chapter one, verse one. God's giving him another chance to obey And Jonah does this time. He takes the opportunity and obeys. So when you mess up and reject God's word, part of repentance is starting where you left off. You can write this down. Repentance includes active obedience. You can't just say you're sorry and hope that God doesn't ask you to do the same thing he's already asked you to do. You can't just say you're sorry and then just duck out of the thing that you were disobedient to, in other words. We might all tend to think that at some times. It's like a thief saying, you know what, I'm sorry I stole from you, but can I still keep the money? Yeah. Can I, is it okay if I still keep it, right? I mean, we say that to God all the time. I'm sorry I messed up, but I'm still not going to do that thing that I know you want me to do. I'm sorry I messed up, but I'm still not going to stop doing that thing I know you want me to stop in my life. That's not repentance. You have to actively take steps toward obedience in your life. Maybe you've been confronted with having sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend. You can say, I'm sorry to God all you want, but without taking steps toward obedience, by no longer having sex outside of marriage or by moving toward marriage, if that's what's appropriate, you haven't repented yet then. You can say you're sorry all you want, but until you take active steps of obedience, you haven't repented. Maybe you've been confronted on not giving any money toward God's mission in your life. And you can say you're sorry to God all you want, but until you actually start to sow into God's mission somewhere on a regular basis by giving your money in obedience, you haven't repented. Uh, Maybe you've lusted and watched porn yet again, one more time, right? And you can say, I'm sorry to God all you want, but until you actually start to get accountability in a DNA group here at Redemption Church and put up barriers to keep yourself from using again, so taking active steps, you haven't repented. Because repentance includes active obedience, But really the thing Jonah is talking about in his context is obedience to what here? God's mission, sharing God's message. You know, part of him repenting was actively obeying God's command to go to the city now, share the message that God had given him. And just like we talked about a few weeks ago, we've already been given a message by God, a command by God to go and share his message with the world, haven't we? We talk about it pretty frequently here at our church. It's called the Great Commission. Jesus gave his followers this commission before he ascended into heaven says this from Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. That's God's command to us. He's telling us to take his message to the world. Make disciples of all nations. And here's the thing that we're all hyper aware of if we've been believers at all for any amount of time, when we hear that, we know that we don't do it the way we ought to. Well, I'm, I'm aware of that. I'm, aware, I'm not just saying that and saying, go try to do better, do harder, all that kind of stuff. No, no, no. I know that when we hear that command, we are immediately confronted with the fact that we don't obey it the way that we should. And we all get that. What, what we need to do then is do like Jonah and repent. 
turn to God, say I'm sorry when we know we've been running from God, but then turn to active obedience and actually start to share. We can't just say we're sorry and then move on. We've got to say, I'm sorry, God. I know what I've been doing is wrong and then start to take steps to do it. Share God's message with somebody around you this week. Because if you haven't done that, it just means you haven't repented yet. You know? And while next week will show us that Jonah's heart may not be there yet completely, he's still angry that you know, they're responding in grace. Well, we know the end of the story usually here. He's still upset about it and he has a conversation with God about it. At least he got the act of obedience part here in chapter three, right? At least he's starting to do what he said he would do in chapter two when he repented. But let's move on into verse three. This is what it says. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city. We talked about that a few weeks ago. It was three-day walk, so it's large. And Jonah sent out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, here's the message, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Period, end of sentence. <laughs> you know, it's like, whoa, what a message, right? 40 days, it'll be destroyed. That's the message that, the, that he gives. That's it. Aren't you glad I usually preach more here than that at Redemption Church, you know? Aren't you glad that's not the message here usually? So, so some scholars will look in at this and they'll think that that was literally the whole message that he gave, which would emphasize all the more the miracle of their response, which we're going to read about in a second. Some think it was just a short summary of what Jonah probably preached, which might have included a much longer message like most of the other prophets. I tend to lean toward that, but who knows? Doesn't, it doesn't say. Either way, that's not the point of the story. The point is because we know this about the Assyrians, that they were violent people. We talked about that. They were evil. They were evil in every way. They're pagans. They worshiped other gods. They were terrible to their neighbors, including Israel. The point is that it's miraculous that they believe, right? That's the miracle here. That's the point of the story. It's, it's a miraculous thing that they believe. I think the thing to point out for us is that Jonah was o- obedient to share the message, whether he thought it was likely they would convert to the message or not. In other words, the conversion of of the Assyrians wasn't his concern. Obedience to share the message was. So for us, our objective is not people's salvation. That's God's prerogative. Salvation belongs to him. That's the message from last week in chapter 2. But the message of salvation always comes through people. It always comes through people. So our objective isn't someone's salvation. You can write this down. Our objective is to share God's word in obedience. That's our object. That's what God is calling us to do here in this chapter. We're just called to communicate, not to emancipate, okay? We're called to relay, not to redeem. We're called to share, not to save. You get the picture, right? That's what we're called to do. Salvation belongs to God, but we get to communicate the message of salvation to the people around us. The only beings that share God's word in the book of Acts were humans, they're the only ones that share the message of God's love in, in, in Acts, all, all the chapters, chapters one through the end. The only beings to really share God's message of hope and reconciliation throughout the entire Bible. Maybe there's a few times where angels speak on behalf of God and things like that, but man, most of the time in the Bible, humans are the ones that talk about God's reconciliation for the world and broken humans at that, right? We're broken vessels and yet God uses us. That's part of his plan. There is no other plan. The church is God's plan A, no other plan B. It's not to be holy, right? That's not his prerogative for us. It's, his objective isn't so that we can just be set up on a shelf, like I said at the beginning, set apart, wholly set apart from other people, okay? 
That's not what he has done in us. Our objective is to deliver the message that's been delivered once and for all to the saints. The message that was delivered to and saved us. Well, we're holy and set apart through what Jesus has done, yes, but not just that we can be holy set apart from the world and everybody in it. We're holy and set apart so that he can work through us as his instruments. Because we're holy and set apart by him, he will use us to deliver his message to the world one way or another. And we're not trying to convert people to self-righteousness here in perfection, right? That's not our, our objective. We're trying to share a message of hope to a broken world that God is willing to save them despite their brokenness. As a matter of fact, because they're broken. And he loves them so much that he wants to save them. We're not just trying to wake bad people up so they can become good people. God has raised, he has to raise dead people to life. That's the whole point. You can't be nearly dead despite what Princess Bride says, okay? You can't, you can't be nearly dead, you know? Nobody is nearly dead in a spiritual sense. We're all completely spiritually dead. We need God to make us completely alive in Christ. And he will miraculously do that if we believe in him. That's what happened in Nineveh. It was a miracle. They believed. For some strange reason, they heard this message, they heard this warning, and they believed, verse 5, then the people of Nineveh believed God. They didn't care about Jonah. They believed God because they heard his message. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth. From the greatest of them to the least, when word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh, by order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened them, and he did not do it. Man, what a beautiful picture of grace and mercy, right? See, this section sees the city, even the king of Assyria, repenting, which effectively means maybe the entire empire was called to repent. Now, we don't know, you know, it doesn't, doesn't always happen this way. We don't know why it did. We know that it all, doesn't always happen this way, where people believe. Just because you and I share God's message doesn't mean somebody will repent and believe when we share it with them. But it happened here, and it was a miracle. Uh, some will believe when we share, and every time they do, it's a miracle. It's a miracle of God. We're just called to be faithful and obedient. But salvation is always a miracle, so you can write that down so that we don't forget it today. Salvation is always a miracle. We always think the fish is the miracle in the story. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? The fish isn't the point. The real miracle is that though we've run from God, he hasn't run from us. He's run after us. That's the miracle. That means Jonah repenting last week and turning to God in the belly of the fish and this entire city of pagans repenting and turning to God in the midst of their sin. Those are the miracles here. That's the real movement of God going on in this book. And the entire book of Jonah is pushing us to see the miracle. I mean, the, the, the language in Hebrew is written in such a beautiful way. I mean, we, I wish we could learn Hebrew and see kind of all the little connections and clever metaphors and all the different things that are being said here. 
Jonah's name, for example, in this story means dove. And he's the son of Amittai, which means faithfulness in Hebrew. So essentially, his name means peaceful son of faithfulness. Can we see the irony there, right? Because he's been anything but that in this story. His disobedience has led to chaos. And the raging storm and the sea and this, this agent of chaos, the fish, entering in and swallowing him and taking him down to the depths. But again, ironically, all that leads to him finding peace, even in the bottom of the sea, in the bottom and the depths of Sheol, he says, in the depths of death itself, raging chaos. He finds peace. God uses the chaos. And then, of course, we see here in this part of the story, the pagans, the, the Assyrians, they're agents of chaos too, right? They're around, going around being violent, killing everybody, and yet God takes all these chaotic things and he flips them upside down so they become this lens for us to see his redeeming power and peace in the world. Isn't that beautiful? God takes all the chaos and he turns it into peace. The entire book is breaking our expectations over and over and over again to emphasize God's complete control over salvation. Salvation belongs to him. It's a miracle of just like eternal proportions. It's a miraculous story of salvation here. And my fear for us is that we're going to lose that sense of worship and awe over the miracle of our own salvation, yes, but then also the miracle of seeing others saved around us and through us. Guys, we cannot let that happen as a church. We have to fight to keep the wonder and the awe of God saving people because it's a miracle then anybody would believe at all, much less that God, the God of the universe who created all things, would come in and pursue us to actually save us. Salvation's always a miracle. What I also think is very interesting in this story is that the sin of the Assyrians wasn't the obstacle to the miracle here. Their sin wasn't the obstacle. Jonah's disobedience was. Jonah's own people, Israel, his, his own set-apart person, his disobedience was the obstacle that God had to overcome. His heart was in chaos. It wasn't the chaos of the world that was the obstacle. It was Jonah's own, the chaos going on in his own sinful heart. So God had to work in Jonah before he could work in Nineveh. Maybe he's doing that in you too through this entire sermon series. I don't know. Maybe as you hear Jonah's story, it resonates with you because you know there's chaos going on in your heart. You know you follow God. You know you're a Christian. You know you want to follow Jesus in your life, but there's chaos. He wants to work in you. Listen, write this down. Let God work in you so that he can work through you. Let him work in you. Let him work in your heart to calm the chaos that's going on so that he can use you as an instrument of peace in this chaotic world. I think sometimes we overspeak on things like this and we try to make it one way or the other. You know, either God is more interested in working in you than he is working through you. And so kind of forget about the mission when you take that stance. You know, he's working in you, so that's all that matters. Or... Maybe we take the opposite approach. He's more interested in working through you than he is working in you, so we forget that it centers on the gospel transforming us first. Our own salvation's a miracle, just as much as him using us to save anyone else. So we're either devaluing ourselves or we devalue others, but I think the book of Jonah is pushing us to see it's somewhere in the middle. God works in us and through us. It's not either or, it's both and, right? It's both of those things together. He's working in us, yes, and he's working through us, because what we don't want to do is absolve ourselves from the responsibility that he's given us to obey his mission, to take his message to the nations. Listen, theologically, I'm pretty reformed, but I think, unfortunately, sometimes, often, the most reformed among us usually say things like, well, 
God will save whom he will save, and I can't save anybody, so I don't have to worry about sharing the gospel with somebody else. Or I don't have to worry about failing in sharing the gospel this time. No big deal, right? God is the one who saves. Salvation belongs to the Lord, so you know, he's going to save whether I'm involved in the mission or not. Thank God. It doesn't hinge on me. But listen, that's not the right approach, okay? And that's what Jonah is teaching us to see. Listen, we wouldn't say it's no big deal about it committing other sins in our life, right? Oh, I cheated on my taxes. No big deal, you know? Oh, I committed adultery. No big deal. Oh, I've committed murder in my heart. No big deal. Now listen, that is not the right approach, is it? While it's 100% true that salvation belongs to God, and we talked about that, it's also 100% true that he uses people to share the message of salvation with others around them. And when you refuse to share as one of his people, you are in sin. Can't excuse ourselves from this. Maybe instead of excusing ourselves from the sin, we need to repent of it, turn back to God, and fight for obedience to his mission. That's what active repentance looks like. Now off the hook, just because God is the one who saves. He wants to use you. You need to press in and take it seriously. Yeah, thank God for his grace when we sin. That's, what we, that's where our hope is in, thankfully. Thank God his salvation doesn't hinge on you or me when he's trying to save someone else. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But listen, if we're not useful in the mission, I, 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 I want to be careful and I, I know my tone. I just, what are you doing with your Christian life then? if you're not willing to share the message with somebody else? I, seriously, like, what are you doing with your life? And I ask myself the same question, guys. You guys know, this is a struggle for me. But I think Jonah is pushing us to see that if we don't share the gospel with people in our city, who will? God's called us to do that. If we're gonna be repentant and we're gonna be obedient, then we gotta get out there and do it, Period. God has sent you to where you live, work, and play, and shop, and whatever else you do, in his sovereignty. It's time to own the mission. It's your mission. It's my mission. It's time we own the mission the way that God has intended it for us to. See, our temptation is to be obedient to a point. I know this personally. Yeah, God, I know you've given me a message to pass on, so I'll put it in my email signature. I'll make sure it's on my Facebook thing, you know, profile, whatever. I'll, I'll tell people I go to church. I'll, tell people, I'll let people know I'm a Christian, huh? Those are all fine things. I'm not saying they're bad. See, obedience would actually be asking somebody if they know the Jesus you know and then explaining to them who he is if they have never heard of him. Or even if they have, trying to correct the ways that they've heard him that are wrong. Maybe that's where we're at in our, our culture most of the time. We have to explain to people that it's probably not the way they think it is because what they think is religion all the time, all the time. We think we're better than everybody else. We're perfect now because we're Christians somehow. And everybody thinks, oh, well, you know, that means you don't cuss or drink or chew or date girls who do. That's the, that's the old line, right? You got to be perfect now. We got to correct that. We got to share this with people. That's not what we believe. We believe something much deeper and much more miraculous has happened in our lives. Listen, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever shared the gospel before with anybody? It's a rhetorical question for you to chew on. Have you ever shared not just that you're a Christian. Have you ever talked about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and what that has meant for you to somebody else? And if not, why? If you're a believer yourself, what's holding you back from obedience to God's mission? Because I'm here to tell you, you haven't repented yet, if that's the case. 
I was talking to somebody about doing this at work a few weeks back, and I think we have all these different things swirling around that excuses that keep us from doing this, and we overthink it sometimes, and often think that, uh, you know, we're looking for opportunities, and we should, but we get caught up in things like work. Well, should we, should we be sharing the gospel at work? That's where we spend most of our waking hours, right? And I think we should look for opportunities to share with our coworkers, but let me just give you some advice on this, okay? This is, this is Uncle Carter here trying to give you some advice on how to do this. Depending on your job, I just want you to hear me say this. Sometimes it's not appropriate to share the gospel in the midst of your job. I get that. The Bible's not telling you you have to like have very low EQ and just randomly share the gospel with everybody, you know? Whenever you meet somebody, hey, have you ever, my name's Carter. Have you ever met Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? You know? And that's not what he's saying here. There's appropriate times to share. There's appropriate times to build relationships. It's not a call to be silly about it. There's a time and a place. Have you ever considered getting with your coworkers outside of your job? That's probably the answer, right? So that you can bless them, as we've talked about before here. So that you can get around them, listen to them, and eat with them, and serve them in a meaningful way, and all of this. And you're like, well, I work online. I work on Zoom. I'm, I, I don't know what to do. You're going to have to think creatively. Get on a Zoom call with them after work and start talking about life and ask them about themselves. Ask them what they like to do. Ask them where they, where they go for fun. Ask them all those things and listen and start to pray and ask God for those opportunities. Don't use that as an excuse. We've got to start thinking about this a little bit more deeply. We've tried to over-equip you here at our church to do this. and I'm gonna, that's, that's our job. I've talked about that before. Ephesians 4, my job is to equip you for the work of ministry. Your job is to be the one on, on mission. Now, of course, I'm going to do that too personally. But when you come in here, it's to get fueled up so you can get sent back out into the fight. We're an aircraft carrier here. I want you to come in and remind yourself of the miracle of your own salvation. And then you go back out and you get back into the fight. So what we want to do here too, though, is tell, we want to equip you to go and say, hey, go and tell people the gospel. We also want to equip you on certain days to say, come and see what God's doing in my life. Hey, I love my church. Hey, we're going to have a special event. Why don't you come to one of those events? And we do that probably three or four times out of the year. We call them big days here. The next big day that we have so that you can put it on your calendar now is guess what? Christmas. That's the biggest day of the year. Churches all around this country will double their attendance on Christmas. Why? Because even pagans celebrate Christmas. Even people love to hear about, you know, Santa Claus, and like, they like to sing the hymns, the, the Christmas carols, right? There's just something about the season. Use it. Be obedient to the mission. And so I want to tell you that our Christmas service this year is going to be geared toward those nominal, non-Christian people who maybe even say they're Christians, or maybe they're not Christians at all, and they just want to learn what you believe about Christmas. It's going to be on Thursday, December 21st. So I'm telling you that now. You're like, it's a little early, okay? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm telling you now so that you can prioritize being there because it's for you. We're not just gonna put on stuff and have all the decorations and do all the stuff just so that we can feel good about ourselves and we wanna be cool. That's not it. We're doing it so we can equip you to invite the people in your life in and say, hey, why don't you come to church with me this week? Let's just, hey, or, or why don't you come to our Christmas service? If church word is too you know, churchy or religious, stay away from it. Hey, we're going to have a Christmas service where we sing Christmas carols and have hot chocolate and have a fun time for kids. We're going to have crafts and they're going to have a blast. Why don't, you, why don't you guys come with me? I'm telling you now so that you can be obedient and fight for obedience to
to the mission, and I'm giving you one tool to do that, okay? Thursday, December 21st. It's going to be a fun time. Mark your calendars now. Listen, if you're not sharing Jesus, it's usually because of one of two reasons. Either you don't care about other people or the mission, or you really don't believe it. That's what it boils down to. Either you don't care or you don't believe. Maybe for you, you don't care. Maybe that's your position. A way to ask it would be, do you see the urgency of the mission? Do you see the urgency in it? Again, I know this is the problem for me. I've shared this with you guys before. I've told you this. I'm actively fighting the sin in my life every day. It's not that I don't care about people I love. It's not that, you know, I don't like being around you guys or my family or anything like that. It's just that I don't even consider the people that I don't love or don't know. I just don't consider them. And it's because I've forgotten the urgency of the mission in those moments. I've forgotten the urgency that there are people in our city, my neighbors, people, when I'm walking around the Y or when I'm walking around our neighborhood or when I'm seeing people, you know, driving down the street even, I forget that they have an eternal future and it's going to go one of two ways for them, just like it is for me, just like it is for all of us. I forget the urgency. Because if I remembered the urgency, I would take every opportunity that I could, that, that God presented to me, to try to figure out how I can share Jesus with these people so that they can know the same purpose and peace that I have in my life, knowing that they could die any moment. There's, there's an urgency there. And sometimes I don't. And sometimes I'll actively dodge an encounter with my neighbors to my shame because I don't feel like it. There's somebody over there. I think I'll just go back this way, you know. Man, I've got to ask myself, am I fighting for obedience to this mission? Do I see the urgency of it? Jonah finally got it in this chapter. I mean, an entire city was miraculously saved. See, you and I will concern ourselves with what's going on in other cities. We'll concern ourselves with what's going on around the world. I mean, it's hard not to when we have the news and social media and internet constantly in our face. But we won't concern ourselves with the people in our own city. The one thing that matters most for us, do they know Jesus yet? Or at least it should matter most to us. Do they know Jesus yet? Trust me, we've got plenty of folks here in Roanoke who don't know Jesus yet. We even have pagans, like in Nineveh, okay? I tell this starting point, so if you've heard this recently, sorry for this, but listen, when we hit the ground here as a launch team in 2020, we started meeting uh, that fall as a team. One of our team members went, was downtown talking to people. She was sharing, you know, just trying to talk about stuff and talk, talk about, started talking about religious stuff. And this lady that she was talking to said, yeah, I'm a pagan. And, and she was kind of like, caught off guard, and, and the lady was like, yeah, no, no, I mean, like, you know, like in the Old Testament, okay? So, so I'm not being rude when she said it. She was a pagan. She identified, self-identified as that, and she said she owns several blocks downtown, her and her organization, and they're very evangelical about their paganism. They want to bring other people into it. They want other people to know the paganism that they know and to worship the earth and make everything divine the way that they make everything divine. That's, that's in our city, I became aware of a coven of witches that meets not too far from here. Every week, they have their own little community group. Now, you guys aren't coming to community group very often, but they'll go every week and do their spells and incantations. Sorry, sorry, sorry. This is not a warm and fuzzy message today, is it? We're just being confronted by the things that Jonah's being confronted with. We've got to take it a little bit more seriously, guys. We have people in our city that are doing, that this is their life. People in our city who are pagans, just like Nineveh, 
do we believe that God could save them miraculously? I mean, we also just have the run-of-the-mill, you know, functional atheists that are here. Over 60% of our cities say they have no religious affiliation at all, which means they're just kind of floating. It's probably, it's probably closer. 60% came from 10 years ago. So I would have to assume that that's only grown. It's probably more like 70 or maybe even 80% of our city has no religious affiliation. They don't go to church. They would never set foot in a church. They're just kind of floating, doing their own thing, tossed about by every wind of doctrine or worldview that comes their way, probably based on how they feel at the time probably based on, you know, them being concerned with making money and being successful, whatever that means to them. The urgency is here in Roanoke, in our city. Do you see the urgency? Are you taking that seriously? I know that this is something I got to repent of every single day and push myself to be obedient, to share with the people around me. But maybe your problem here is that you really don't believe the gospel at all yourself. Maybe you're not a believer here. Maybe you don't believe the gospel. You can write this question down to consider for yourself. Do you believe God's message at all? I think it's worth asking. It's always a possibility that you don't. And I'm not trying to get anybody to leave here worried whether or not they're a Christian or anything like that. If you care at all, then you're probably a believer. The very fact that you're concerned with whether or not you're being obedient to the mission shows that you're changed by the gospel. The very fact that you care at all, that you have a concern in your heart. But you see, some of you guys may not be concerned. Maybe you just don't care at all about being obedient to God. Maybe that's not you. It's, and it's okay. Listen, that just means you don't know Jesus yet. Just recognize where you're at. You're not a Christian. You're not a believer. It's okay. We're glad you're here. Your next step is to put your faith in him. Your next step is to believe. His mission was to reach you, just like it was to reach us before you. How do I know that that was his mission? Because he sent Jesus into the world to save people just like you and me. I was one of them. You were one of them. Here's what I want you to see. You can write this down. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's mission. Jesus is that ultimate expression of God's mission in the world. God sent Jesus as the agent of peace in this chaotic world of sin and brokenness and death, and then he used the chaos against itself. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the God that we serve, the miracle of salvation. So he took chaos and he turned it into peace and joy and beauty. It looked like chaos and death had won because Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross and murdered, right? But Jesus rose from the dead and defeated death and hell and chaos so that you and I could have peace with God forever. God will relent from the disaster that he's threatened if we believe that Jesus has taken that disaster onto himself for us and defeated it on our behalf. Now his perfect life of peace And joy and meaning is applied to you and I. And we can live in peace with our creator forever. God has relented, if you'll believe. So interesting that both moralism and paganism reject God's peace in Christ. Religiosity, moralism, and paganism are both actually very violent in the way that they play themselves out in the world. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. Think of paganism. That's the easy one. It's almost always born out of gods at war with one another. If everything's divine, there's, I mean, just think Greek mythology, for example, right? Uh, The world is always in violence and chaos. It was born out of the the gods fighting with one another, and, and it leads to a violent lived reality oftentimes, most of the time. No wonder abortion and racism is rampant in our culture today. These things affect the lived reality that we have when violence and chaos is the foundation, But what's even more interesting is that moralism and religiosity leads to violence as well. Just think of politics in our day and age. 
I mean, think about this. When, when your only concern is doing the right things, but you're not concerned with all the other people in the world, even if they don't believe what you believe, then you'll run over whoever you disagree with to make sure that all those right things happen at all costs. That's moralism. When it's got to be the right way or the highway and you don't care about other people, no matter the cost, moralism usually leads to violence in a different kind of way. But Jesus leads to peace. He's something totally different. There's not religiosity. There's not paganism. There's Christianity in the middle. Jesus leads to peace. He's an agent of peace in the midst of the chaos. And he's the ultimate expression of God's mission to rescue and redeem and save you and me. If you're experiencing any desire at all to keep exploring that and you're here and you wouldn't say you're a believer, man, we want this church to be a safe group of people for you to explore that with. Go to a community group this week and talk about the questions that you're wrestling with. Get those questions either answered or at least started answering. And if you're still not sure whether you, where, where you fall in the faith, whether or not you're willing to live on mission for God is perhaps the most effective lit, litmus test for that. For where you're at with God, you can write this down. It's the last thing we'll write. Whether or not we're obedient to the mission is the test for how much we love God. It's the test. That's it, man. Yeah, it shows how much we care about others or not, but it primarily shows how much we care about God. Because if we're not willing to share God's love with others, we probably don't love God as much as we think we do. Because God loves the world. He loved even pagan Nineveh. Enemies, people were doing violence, wicked things. And if we don't love what God loves, then we may not love God as much as we think we do. So whether you've just forgotten the gospel today and you don't, you, you've forgotten the urgency, or whether or not you've ever believed in him and placed your trust in Jesus at all, here's the solution for either of those camps for us today. Because one of us, we, we fall into either of those camps today. Either we've forgotten, we're not perfect in the mission, we haven't done it perfectly in our lives, or we just, we're not on mission at all because we don't believe. The answer for both of us is to repent and believe and turn back to God in active obedience. That's, that's the answer for anybody, to repent and turn back to God in active obedience. Man, you want joy? You wanna be set free from sin? You wanna genuinely grow closer to God in your life? Then repent and turn back to God in active obedience and live on mission for him. Because remember, the reason that Jonah was in the depths, the reason that Jonah was at rock bottom, is because he had run from sharing God's message with people he knew he ought to be sharing with. Maybe the reason you're so anxious in your life right now, maybe the reason you're so stressed or unhappy or dissatisfied, maybe the reason you're at rock bottom is because you've failed to share the gospel over and over and over again, you're running from God. You're running from the mission. You don't wanna share. You're afraid of what people are gonna say. You're afraid of what they're gonna think of you. You're afraid of the response you're gonna get. Maybe it's your lack of sleep. Maybe it's your lack of exercise. Maybe it's your, your job that's hard. Maybe it's your family or friends that aren't very nice to you. But I'd say it's probably a little bit deeper than that. I'd say it's probably because you're just running from God and you're not living in active obedience. Repent, say you're sorry, but then turn and start to share this week. Live on mission. Fight for obedience to the mission. That's the Christian life. One last thing you might be saying, I want to live on mission, but I just don't know how. You know, I feel guilty now. I feel guilty because of this. And I know, listen, I'm trying to keep my tone back because listen, I'm preaching to myself here, guys. I'm preaching to myself and I'm hardest on myself. I, I want to live this way. I want to live in obedience. And I want this for you so badly. 
And I know we just will make excuses and say, well, I don't know how. I don't know how. Listen, you do know how because you believed for some reason. There's some reason, if you're here and you're a believer and God has saved you and he's miraculously intervened in your life, you believe for a reason. You can explain that to somebody else. You can, you can mess up. You can say off the wall things. You can trip over yourself and look like an idiot. Get over yourself and do it anyway, right? You can do it. Go bless somebody this week. Begin by praying for a person in your life who you know needs Jesus. Pray for them. Then listen to them. Ask them questions about their life. Ask them questions about what they believe. Eat with them so that you can spend some time together, quality time, and then serve them in some meaningful way. And then share why you believe what you believe. Share who Jesus is to you. It's, it's really that simple. Don't make excuses today for why you're not being obedient. Turn and fight for obedience. God besieged a great city with an army of one. Tim Keller said that about Jonah. And I thought that was so beautiful. Jonah went into the city. God besieged this great pagan city with this army of one person who was willing to obey, to share the message. But just imagine what he'll do. Just a few of us are willing to be obedient, to share that message of hope and love with the small city that's around us. We can go out in the power of the Holy Spirit today and see God transform our city because he uses us. Let's fight for that kind of obedience. Let me pray for us. God.